Today's podcast is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you're going to get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at podgo.co. And be sure to tell them Tales of the Voidfarer sent you. Opia, you startle awake as your entire hut shakes and you hear like a long rumbling cough. The sun pendant, which is hanging on a hook at the peak of your hut, sways back and forth from the spasm, its soft glow of sunlight causing shadows to dance around the walls. Titania doesn't have a respiratory system. She doesn't have a mouth or lungs or any of those things. But this cough is definitely a recurring sign of her fatigue from this journey. And it's been getting considerably worse as you've been traveling um, this one, shaking your entire hut. But alas, it has woken you up from your nightly rest. Caitlin, would you like to describe what Opia looks like? All right. Opia is a furbolg. She is about seven feet, ten inches tall and has a Rubenesque figure. Uh, she's got olive green eyes and pale gray skin with long white hair that she keeps up in a high ponytail um, with some loose braids at the front in front of her ears. Um, she wears mostly dark robes, um, occasionally a necklace or so, but mostly she leaves her neck bare to wear the pendant when she's not staying in her hut. So yeah, you were shaken awake. Um, what do you do? So, I think perhaps she had rolled out of her bed at mm-hmm. the, the force of, of the shaking. <laughs> and because she would then be on the ground and hopefully in some sort of contact with Titania directly, um, she would use uh, speech of beast and leaf to communicate with Titania, at least to send over like some sort of feelings of like concern um, some like questioning on like wanting to know that she was okay mm-hmm. um, and then reassurance that that she's still here if there's anything that Opia could do yeah these these feelings and thoughts are conveyed through your innate verbal touch to the gargantuan Kindori space whale on which your little hut is perched this ability doesn't give Titania the ability to communicate back mm-hmm. to you in any way, but you are confident that your your thoughts are conveyed. And as you kind of like gain your bearings, it does seem like it's pretty close to quote unquote morning when you were planning on awakening anyway. At that point, the flap on the hut opens and buzzing in is Took, your sprite companion hauling what looks like a very heavy for his tiny sprite frame coil of infinity vine rope. And he heaves it over, flapping his little gossamer dragonfly wings furiously to heave the rope onto the large pile that is accumulating in the corner. Well, there's another one. I'm getting really good at uh, this whole uh, rope making stuff. Really getting it down to a science. 
Did you finish that since last night? This is the second one I finished tonight. Wow. Oh, um, did you did you need any help with moving them? Oh, no, I this is the this was the last one. I I already got it. So we're going to be able to trade all of this rope at the next port for lots of supplies. We can even get fancy rations this time. Oh, it would be nice to have fancy rations. And speaking of rations, she will get up and kind of resign herself to starting the day at this hour instead mm-hmm. um, and start um, to prepare some breakfast. And uh, she would ask to, did you, did you eat already? Did you need... Did you need breakfast? Oh, I, uh, I, I did eat, but I'm already ready for my next meal. Us, uh, us sprites eat a solid 12 meals a day. <laughs> They're very tiny meals, and we burn through them very quickly. She laughs, because they probably <laughs> have this discussion every single every time. Every morning, yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and um, as she's preparing the food, uh, mm-hmm. she would take out the Heward's Handy Spice Pouch. Mm, mm-hmm. So that she could put some spices or flavorings on there. And mm-hmm. this morning, she will hand Heward's Handy Spice Pouch a little hesitantly over to Took and say, How about you pick again this morning? But nothing crazy like the last time. You remember last time? <laughs> I know you liked it, but I would like to be able to eat breakfast. <laughs> Look, it was a rare Feywild delicacy. Was it? Yeah, it was an entire acorn. You gotta get it cut just right. How about we stick to something <laughs> basic? It's breakfast. Oh. I think we might still have some bacon. I could eat some bacon. Alright, bacon it is. And so we make the bacon. Yes, you guys make bacon. And while you're cooking the bacon, Took is going to fill you in on the pod's current affairs that have happened in the hours while you were asleep. Since this is usually the, the routine, Took sleeps very little comparatively to you since he has he's so small and has such a fast metabolism that he only really needs a couple hours of sleep. He always makes sure he stays up to watch the pod while you're sleeping. And while you guys are cooking the bacon, he goes, you know, Snow ventured the furthest he is ever from his mother. You know, I think he was encouraged to do so by some prodding from Prudence. But yeah, they, they both drifted off while she was uh, rubbing on an asteroid. Spectre panicked pretty hard when she realized it and quickly collect their calf. And then he just continues to kind of like rattle down the report. Devotion got a nice long rest for a change, letting Legacy guide her. <sighs> it's good, too, because she got very little sleep since traveling the uh, 21 days through the phlogiston. It's been nice having these uh, last few now that we've entered Crot Space. Wanderer did some exploring. Ludic followed her, beginning to learn his bad habits, I think. But uh, they both got reprimanded by Velvet, their father, when they returned. But all in all, the, the pod is definitely weary after the long journey through the Phlogiston. It'll be good when we get to Ilios, so they can all recharge. We could all recharge when we get there. Yeah, but you nice for them to absorb some sunlight and get some more energy back from their journey. It's been a long one. Yeah. Not the longest we've done, but certainly the longest with the babies. Yeah. And Titania, I don't know how many uh, more of these long journeys that she'll have in her. It's already seeming to take a toll. I'm not sure, but with luck, maybe they'll take more time this time around this sun. And that'll do her some good. Yeah. Good thing we'll get to it, too. I don't know. Uh, if it was any further out, it would be a problem. With that, actually, Titania coughs, quote-unquote, again, this time a little bit more severely 
the tremor shaking the entire hut, the pan that you're cooking bacon on rattles, and the sun pendant hanging on its hook is actually shaken free, and it thump to the ground. Opie will pick it up and put it around her neck and kind of mm-hmm. eye Took meaningfully. Yeah. Yeah, Took kind of doesn't say anything and lets this concern kind of hang there for a moment. And then he changes the subject, kind of nodding towards your pendant. You know, I never gotten a close look at that. What is it anyway? So she offers the pendant out, though she did sling it around her neck already. It's a pendant of a son's dying breath. And it looks like an uncut disc of quartz embedded in petrified wood. And the wood is carved in the shape of a son. Um, She has it on a cord of braided leather. Um, The crystal is emitting a soft yellow glow that's only about as bright as a candle flame. And she tells Took the light contained within the pendant is said to be captured. Final light emitted by a dying sun. Wow. Where did you get that? Oh, well, you know, Ilana Starwatcher, my mentor, uh, she, she gave it to me before I left and said I was finally ready for it. Wow. Must be exceptionally rare. That's what I hear. I've certainly never seen another one. Well, that's really cool. Maybe one day I'll find one. Maybe. And then we could both have one. Yeah. We could match. So you guys complete making your breakfast and you take a moment to enjoy your breakfast. And then it's up to you to go about your daily routine of tending to the whale pod and studying their habits and behaviors, which has been your druidly duty for the last few years now. It's been a fun time. Very isolating. <laughs> um, so, like most druids. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. Um, so what she would do after cleaning up breakfast... Uh, is she would take the information that Took gave her from that he gathered while she was sleeping um, and jot that down. Um, she would also then um, try, try to triangulate their location, um, mm-hmm. seeing how far they had traveled in the time that she had been asleep, mm-hmm. um, plotting out that path on a map that she's been keeping of yeah. um, their journey. And then doing some contemplation over how long, how far they have left um, before they arrive at their destination. Sure. Um, but mostly making sure that we've got all of those like basic mapping notes out so that she can, on this draft map, then make nice fancy maps for later because she makes them for every journey that they go on. Yeah, from just being so attuned with the stars as a circle of stars, Druid, you can gauge that you've traveled a a significant distance. You know that these pods of whales, when they're out in the middle of wild space with no structures or other planetary bodies around them, they can travel at near spell jamming speed, which is millions of miles an hour, allowing travel between planets to happen in days instead of months or years. And uh, the pod is instinctively making a beeline for Ilias, the the primary sun of this system. And you know that Crotspace is a dual sun system. There is a secondary sun that has an orbit about halfway out through the system. However, at this time, that sun is further away. 
it's on the other side of Ilias. But based on your calculations, you do confirm that you should be arriving at that sun today, which is good because the clear exhaustion in Titania is growing worse and it'll be good that she'll be able to recharge some energy at the sun when you arrive. Put that whale on its wireless charger and get ready to go. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a couple days since you entered Krat Space. Um, You did stop briefly at a small outpost on like an asteroid that was floating in some of the outer orbits. And you've gotten enough supplies to last uh, a few more weeks. And enough looks to probably last her even longer. Probably. (laughs) Here comes Opia. There's that whale lady again. The crazy whale (laughs) furbolg. So, yeah. So you get done doing that. Uh, What what do you do next? Um, So after she would be doing the triangulations, um, she would subsequently um, go out, if um, Tuke is amenable, to go inspect the infinity vine growth for the day. Yeah. Tuk has been the one who's been mostly keeping up with its trimmings because it does grow so incredibly fast that it's almost like an around the clock endeavor to make sure it's not growing to the point of encumbering Titania as like one of the main features of an infinity vine is it basically like synthesizes mass basically out of thin air magically. Mm-hmm. But since you guys have arrived, you've been keeping this growth on Titania pretty well held back. And it's had the benefit that the vines make some of the strongest rope in wild space. And Tuke has gotten very good at crafting rope out of this infinity vine. And it has been a constant source of income for your travels. Yeah, Opia has tried her hand at rope making, but she doesn't have the same fine touch that yeah. Tuke would have with the with uh-huh. the ropes. A lot of the ropes that you have made have gone to your own use here on the whales. Yes. Crafting the harnesses that you use to crawl around to the underside of the whale to clean their bellies and the ropes used in the construction of your huts and other structures and other tools mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. The ropes that Tuke make are the ones that you guys sell. Yeah. He's got a fascinating system too, where he takes the strands and lays them along all the way out in parallel. And then he basically flies and zigzags back and forth, grabbing one and pulling it across the others and then letting it go and grabbing another one and creating this weave. And he can weave the entire strand of rope just by zipping back and forth on his little sprite wings. That's the other reason we have 12 meals a day. (laughs) (laughs) Now, when you leave your hut, Titania's back is an entire forest, basically, of various space-born plants. A lot of that forest is the infinity vine that as it kind of snakes out, it kind of makes up a lot of that mass. But there are also space fronds and trees and other stuff. But walking out of your hut, like, you definitely get the impression that it's a forest at night. If you didn't know, you were actually on the back of a 208 meter long space whale so you go and inspect the infinity vine and you can make some trims here or there just little sprouts that have started to expand even since Tuke's trimmings a few hours earlier it's kind of the back and forth shifts uh, are kind of required to keep it in check Um, but you inspect Tuke's work and make some cuts of your own and you're pretty satisfied with the rate of its growth or lack thereof at this time Um, post infinity vine Mm -hmm. uh, so since they had gone through the phlogiston before. Mm-hmm. They would have picked up some barnacles on their bellies. 
So since they are going to be approaching that sun today, she wants to make sure that they are at optimum clean belly for eating up all that luscious sunlight. Yep. And cleaning off the barnacles has been something you and Tuke have been working on since you left the phlogiston. Uh, Mm -hmm. entering this crystal sphere and uh, they're large whales so it's kind of like a large shifts of your day making sure you get them all clean and you're not going to get the whole thing in a single go anyway so you got them mostly clean but there's still like a few that needs done yep Two kids said that the other day, one of the ones that he removed off of Velvet, he was pretty sure was actually a Krajan larva, which notoriously looked like Flow Barnacles, but you're not sure. We're keeping our eye out for more of those. Yeah, because you know that a Krajan is a space kraken. We want to definitely keep eyes out for those, <laughs> and definitely not on our Velvet. Yep. <laughs> so I think... It would be the larger whales that she had left the last bit of barnacle scraping to do, mm-hmm. um, if only because their mass is so much larger that the space that they would have to take in sunlight would be so much bigger than the other whales would in the, in the first place that yeah we've left it to that. So I think she would be going down to Titania's belly mm-hmm. to do some barnacle scraping. Sure. Yeah. So you get your big barnacle scraper, which is basically the size of like a yard rake. but you clamber down the harness rope ladder that basically goes entirely around titania's circumference right behind her pectoral fins and you can use that to ease yourself down her side and spin yourself around at the gravity plane and climb back up onto her belly where you can just walk around freely scraping barnacles We got a big pail so we can collect those barnacles for later. Sometimes when we're low on supplies, it's nice to have a little bit of backup. But she can definitely say that barnacles are not her favorite thing to eat. Tuke hates barnacle night. (laughs) (laughs) He is not a fan. No one is happy on barnacle night except for the whales. Yeah, as you're as you're walking around uh, scraping Titania's belly, she does have that very cough-like exhaustion spasms that kind of shake the ground, quote unquote, beneath your feet. Yeah, she's definitely a tired girl. Tired baby. Big tired baby. Big tired grandma baby. Yes. It is a little disorienting standing down here because you can see the rest of the pod. You can see Devotion swimming nearby. She never drifts too far away from Titania. But from your perspective, she's upside down because you're standing upright on Titania's belly. Uh, And you can see Velvet uh, a little bit further away with his longer shaggy moss on his back. And Velvet and Devotion are not even a quarter of the length of Titania. She is by far several generations older and the matriarch of this pod for a reason. Okay. So, And as you work, you can kind of see the youngers of the pod. Snow still staying pretty close to his mother, Spectre. And you can see that Ludic and Prudence and Wanderer are kind of like swimming around, playing with each other. Legacy keeping a cautious eye. <laughs> but yeah, this is probably uh, takes the most time out of your day. Finishing removing the last few barnacles on the bottom of Titania. Yep. And Opia can say firmly that anybody who thinks that her whale research is sitting and staring at whales is incredibly wrong and it is backbreaking <laughs> work. Yep, you are sweating. 
So while she's doing this, she is keeping track of everybody, uh, making mental notes so that when she comes back up to the hut side, that she would then have that information as well. Just keeping an eye on everybody and making sure, to the best of her knowledge, that the whale calves are growing up on a normal schedule and Mm -hmm. nobody is sick, nobody has any weird things going on or any visible things that she can see from her perspective that need addressed. Mm -hmm. Uh, She does try for the most part, to um, stay out of everyone's business, except she can't help herself about the barnacles. Right, right. And just from your observations, you can confirm like what two kids said earlier, that the entire pod is definitely tired from their long journey between spheres, but none to a concerning degree like Titania. Titania is the only one that is like, if this whale doesn't get sun soon, it might be problems. The others will be okay. Mm-hmm. for at least a few more days if need be, if not even more than a week, because they're all still young and strong. But Titania has been around a long time, and she can't make these long journeys like she used to. So yeah, you finish Barnacles. You can see that the primary son of this system, Ilias, is growing larger, uh, and you should be arriving within the basking proximity of the sun relatively soon. Was there anything else that you wanted to do? Any other parts of your routine that you're going to do until you get there? Since they are entering basking proximity, she gets herself set up for more observation. So at this point, I think she would um, head down towards the space right above Titania's eyes Mm -hmm. so that she can also get the best view going in. Yeah. And Tuke, who has taken several sleeps now in the course of your routine, flutters up to you to follow you up there. And you can see as you clamber back up to the top, as you re-enter the jungle, the forest that makes up Titania's back, that the sun, Ilias, is now larger than your fist and very quickly growing larger. You can feel its warmth on your face. It's not burning by any means, but it's it's a nice warmth that even just earlier this morning, you weren't close enough to directly feel. And you trek your way up. There's a path that you've made. Your, your hut is kind of just in front of its dorsal ridge, and the infinity vine is located more towards the tail, but you've created a little path that kind of runs all the way up its spine through the forest. And you follow that path all the way to her nose, and you can see the row of eyes along like her forwardmost snout. The eyes themselves are very large compared to you, um, easily maybe three or four feet across. They're not all exactly the same size. The ones in the middle are larger, and they get a little bit smaller as they go. Um, but there's a nice little sitting spot kind of right on her nose, right behind her eyes that you like to go and sit there and you can talk to her from there and that sort of thing. Yes, so she would settle herself down in a seated position there on the knees. Yeah, basking is always like just a really fun thing for you to watch, I think. Um, you always enjoy when the whales approach a sun to bask just see them absorb the sunlight and uh, be in proximity of a sun where it's just very beautiful. It definitely never gets old. Right. Every time they approach a sun, it's something where she can't help but marvel at the existence she leads now instead of being back home on garden. Yeah. You're a long way from home. That's for sure. 
the whales begin to kind of get into position. Titania kind of pulls up the rear and you see out in front, the others kind of led mostly by Velvet. Devotion staying back with Titania, but Velvet and Legacy, Spectre, Wanderer, Ludic, Prudence and Snow all kind of drift up and then they like raise their noses, exposing their speckled white bellies to the yellow sunlight. And as you approach, you see that devotion does the same. And then suddenly your entire perspective begins to shift as Titania's nose rises to expose her belly. And you kind of crawling your way because the gravity doesn't change for you. The gravity is always directly down to the whale, regardless of the fact that she's pulling up her nose. So you kind of like crawl on your stomach to kind of peek over her snout so you can see the sun and the other whales basking. You kind of take it in and it's feeling the soft warmth of the sun. It feels like the sun should be hotter. But regardless, the the bright sunlight is welcoming and you kind of sit there and quietly observe the whales. (laughs) Titania coughs again, rumbling beneath you. And then again, in quick succession. And that's confusing because you would think that by now she would be absorbing this energy from this sun and beginning to recharge and almost immediately beginning to feel better as she has in the past. Something is wrong. Um. And as that thought occurs to you, you actually see some of the younger whales kind of reorient, turning their back on the sun a little bit and kind of looking at Titania and looking at Devotion and Velvet, stopping basking altogether. Something is very wrong. Opio would, sensing that this is very wrong, this is definitely against everything that's happened from every, every other basking um, session that we've mm-hmm. gone through together um, would cast speak with animals mm-hmm. and ask to Tanya what's going on what's happening mm-hmm. the sun is cold no energy and she says it and you can feel the fatigue and tiredness in her voice voice however you're communicating with her it's almost more of like a telepathic like she's letting off these low rumbling whale moans that Mm -hmm. kind of reverberate through her entire snout and up your legs but you through your spell and your druidic magic can interpret that into words we've spent a while together Mm mm-hmm you actually see Wanderer begins like flying a little bit further away and you can kind of see the very distant pinprick of like the blue secondary sun of the system, Torchbearer. And she like flies a little bit that way and kind of stops and looks back towards the, the pod. And you see Velvet kind of start drifting in that way as well. Devotion, sensing something is wrong, has like stopped basking and come to Titania. But judging by the behaviors of the pod, it doesn't appear that any of the whales are getting energy from the sun, which is bizarre. I think Opia is a little flabbergasted at the entire situation. Mm -hmm. She's definitely never... The sun not having energy for the Mm -hmm. whales? Mm -hmm. It did feel a lot cooler 
what's happening. How long does speak with animals last? Uh, 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Yeah. As you're kind of sitting here wondering, Titania just says, so tired. Devotion like swims up and nudges her and uh, Velvet has started kind of swimming a little bit further away, but stopping apprehensively. Spectre has kind of scooped up her son, Snow, and they're like now just heading towards the secondary sun, which you know is another three-day journey away at this point. Titania, are you, gonna, are you going to be able to make it to Torchbearer? So tired. And you actually see she's beginning to drift backwards no longer in a basking position, but almost just like drifting limply backwards. Velvet has started swimming off following uh, Spectre and Snow and seeing their father swim off. Wanderer and Ludic are going to go as well. And Prudence is considering going that way as well. Devotion is like still concerned and staying next to Titania. Tuke is kind of nervously buzzing around. What do we do? What can we do, Tuke? We have we have lots we have lots of rope. Maybe we can tow Titania, get the other whales to pull her. I don't know. She needs sunlight. She does. She considers what Tuke has said and looks over at devotion. And would she be able to speak with the other whales from the distance what that is- they she would be on because it doesn't have a distance on it. Um, but obviously it is it's a pretty big space animals duration 10 minutes you gain the ability to comprehend and verbally communicate with beasts for the duration the knowledge and awareness many beasts um so yes but only if you're in the same air envelope so the other whales that have already begun swimming off they can't hear you because your sound cannot travel through empty wild space Mm-hmm. Um, it can only travel through an air envelope, but devotion is close enough that she is sharing an air envelope with Titania and you can shout and she will hear you. Okay. So I think she would, what a situation to be in. Um, she would <laughs> Nick. What? <laughs> <laughs> Give me whales and then problematize my whales. It's fine. <laughs> what what story is there without conflict? <laughs> it's different when the conflict is where your house is. Um, yeah. There's a lot of things that need to happen. So she is going to uh, <laughs> shout over to Devotion and ask about um, Tuke's plan. If they were to use the ropes that they're familiar with. She had already Mm -hmm. talked to them about and had talked Mm -hmm. them into wearing the harnesses. Um, If Mm -hmm. she were to, she and Tuke were to um, connect the two whales to devotion first because she's the closest, would they help pull Titania towards Torchbearer? Devotion is going to say... I can try, but I would have to convince Velvet and the others. 
I know the others are a little young, but maybe we can convince Wanderer at least, since it's something different that she might be interested in helping. I can try. And Devotion will, like with a plan, Devotion is going to like turn and start swimming in the direction of the others. Now, you know that like you can speak to these whales, but like their intelligence is still like limited. They're still like whales, you know, they're not much smarter than normal earth whales, which do have complicated cultures and relationships with each other. If the Disney plus series (laughs) narrated by Sigourney Weaver has anything to say about it, but um, they're still animals, you know? Yes. And anything that I can communicate is not necessarily on the level that they would be talking about amongst themselves. Devotion seems to like at least comprehend what you're asking of her, but you not a hundred percent confident in her ability to convey that back to another set of whales who then have mm-hmm. to interpret it and then agree to it. So that's that's the challenge. Uh, so you you could reasonably like try to get on devotion and go so you can speak to the whales yourself? Mm-hmm. Out of character. I'm not sure how to move a whale from one sun to, an- to the next. Uh... <laughs> Um, you are confident that, like, if you got, like, the entire pod to mm-hmm. pull, you could do it. Short of the entire pod, it's probably not going to be possible. You do have enough rope to do that, um, mm-hmm. but it would just be a matter of coordinating the whales to do it. Okay. Well, I think with that in mind, unless the things that I have are not move a whale... Alternatively, if you can find a way to give Titania a boost of energy, that would also help. Right. Nicholas, I see what you've done here. (laughs) 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 You turned. (laughs) You're just sitting here like, come on, Caitlin, I gave it to you at the beginning of the thing. Can you describe that sun pendant for us one time? (laughs) 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 Oh, no. Well, (laughs) desperate times call for desperate measures. We don't need this anymore. So you see Devotion swim off and kind of swim up to Velvet and the others who were like swimming away, but they were like apprehensive about it. They weren't like ready to immediately abandon Titania and Devotion, but like at the same time, like they do need to eat in their Kindori sunlight absorbing ways. So like there's at a certain point, like they got to like start worrying about themselves, but Devotion has like swum up and you can see that they've kind of stopped and they're not really having like a conversation, but like Devotion is like kind of swimming around and like kind of back in the direction of, Titania and trying to get the others to do it. Velvet is considering it and so is Legacy. And likewise, like Wanderer and Ludic uh, are are stopping as well. But Spectre and Snow seem to be like in Spectre being like always like the little bit of like the nervous overprotective mother seems to be more concerned with about getting her only a week old baby <laughs> to the sun because this will be the first time he'll actually ever basked. And uh, it's important that he does so. We only have so much time. So um, 
it's seeming that uh, devotion hasn't done a whole lot to persuade Spectre, but at the end of the day, devotion is still just a whale. <laughs> yeah, we can't blame devotion because we don't we don't know how to tow things. It's not a whale yeah. thing that people whale people yeah. <laughs> usually whale, do. Whale people. Whale people. At this person, they might as well be whale people because right. they're the only people that we hang out yep. with these days. The gang's all here. Yeah, you you speculate that if you maybe have gone with devotion, you may have had better yeah. luck because you can convey more complicated ideas. But it it does look like devotion, wonder, and ludic will return. Okay. But without Spectre and Snow, it it would be difficult to make this work. We kind of need the crew. Yeah, you kind of need the whole squad minus baby baby. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is me asking about the pendant. Okay. Do I gotta smash it, or is it going to be sufficient to just use it? You you can try. Nick. <laughs> okay, so... You don't know. <laughs> we don't know. I think because we're in desperate times, and we were... Uh, Titania was up with her belly to the sun, and we'd been falling backwards, that because of the, the position that Opia is in, she is mm-hmm. actually going to make that probably belly flopping sort of bad decision to go over the front yeah you're already kind of hanging on to Mm -hmm. to titania's like front edge anyway yeah so you can kind of just like get your elbows over and climb yourself over and your stomach kind of like jumps to your throat as gravity suddenly changes directions as you kind of roll over the edge but you're able to clamber yourself up like the underside of her head i would assume that they're bumpy for more surface area but Mm -hmm. While she's there, she's going to take out, now that she is on the belly, mm-hmm. um, she's going to take the pendant from the front of her robes, mm-hmm. and um, I guess she is going to still belly to belly with Titania, um, pull mm-hmm. out the pendant. So you're crawling on your belly still, kind of on the underside of Titania. Mm-hmm. And with the pendant, she is going to... Uh, will the light in the crystal to intensify. Okay. So that should cast pretty bright light in the immediate area mm-hmm. and then dim light or a little bit farther than that. Yeah, you use, we're not in combat, but you use your action to cast bright light in a 15-foot radius and dim light for an additional 15 feet. That light is sunlight. So you hold out this petrified wood sun-shaped pendant with the disc of quartz in the middle and the little flickering candle flame moat of light quickly expands to this white radiant light. And you can still understand through your speak with animals. Mm-hmm. Warm, but still Now, you can increase that radius to 30 feet, making it even mm-hmm. brighter. We'll try that and see if it's if it helps at all. So, yeah, you concentrate over the next few seconds to incrementally increase the brightness of the pendant, which you've never made it this bright before. You've only ever used it for, like, ambient light in your hut and for other small things. And actually, as it gets to its highest intensity, casting bright light for 30 feet and a dim light for an additional 30. It's almost vibrating with power in your hand. And Titania coughs again. Wood, but still tired. Hmm. Opia is 
a bit desperate at this point because it is crucial that they get Titania moving again and it seems without desperate measures we're not going to be able to go we'll lose Titania we'll lose not only a valued member of the pod but also probably everything that she's been working for for the past few years which is at this point only at the back of her mind because right now Titania is imperative mm-hmm. you're gonna make me smash it Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was Chekhov's pendant Caitlin it is why do we have the pendant <laughs> unless we're gonna blow it up <laughs> okay uh yeah I I think um she is going to cause Duke didn't follow over did he uh he he did he's like nervously following okay. you uh what are you doing Duke remember the pendant the pendant you're holding and have been shining light from for the last like 30 seconds yes that pendant yeah I'm gonna need you to go back to the hut oh uh, okay. Opia, you're gonna be okay, right? I should be fine. The the should in there is worrying, but... Alright, it's your turn to make breakfast tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll buzz off. <laughs> An expression of love from Took. <laughs> um, we're going to take out our dagger and flip it so it is hilt side down. Gonna hit it with the pommel? Gonna hit it with the pommel. (laughs) And Opia looks at it. She thinks about how nice this pendant is and wonders if maybe this wasn't what her mentor had meant. Maybe this is what the pendants were kind of meant to be used for. Mm Mm-hmm. And in that moment, you remember the words that your mentor said to you when they gave you this pendant. Use it well. And she takes a deep breath. And she smashes the pommel of the dagger down on the crystal. You bring the pommel down and the quartz disc inlaid into this sun-shaped petrified wood cracks. And there's a pause. And suddenly the light explodes. You happen to shield your eyes just barely in time because suddenly bright white light and heat come erupting out of this object shedding bright light in 2,000 foot radius and dim light for an additional 1,000 feet. You're pretty sure that any creatures nearby that were like not immune to radiant damage would be taking a lot of radiant damage right now. But immediately as this light erupts out of this item, you feel Titania beneath you shudder, but not in like the coughing like spasms that she had before, but a sudden resurgence of energy. And you hear Titania's rumbling voice through your speak with animal spell. Thank you, Opia. And the whale begins to turn back, reorienting itself in a swimming position and begins swimming to join the rest of the pod. We're just going to lay face down on the whale <laughs> belly. Uh-huh. Just contemplate uh-huh. <laughs> the last 10 minutes of panic. The pendant burns bright for a minute, 
before its light slowly dims and extinguishes and the entire pendant crumbles to dust in your hand. Fun. Hey, Nick. Out of narrative question, would you call this a dying sun? The pendant? Or the... (laughs) (laughs) The one that's not doing the energy right? (laughs) No, actually. You don't know what this is. Um, The sun looks like a sun. It feels maybe just a little bit colder than you think it should, but suns burn at different temperatures all the time. Mm -hmm. So you don't think that's the problem. But for whatever reason, the whales are not able to get energy from it. And you've never in all of your time traveling wild space with these wells and otherwise have encountered anything like it. Going back to the hut, we are going to set up our observational tools, not telescopes. We are not sticking an eyeball directly on the sun. Uh But we're going to see what we can figure out since we're going to have to go by this sun anyway. Okay. Might as well collect some measurements. Exactly. As Titania rejoins the pod and you round this sun heading to the secondary sun conveniently located in this system, a smaller blue sun called the Torchbearer. You don't know how much energy your pendant gave Titania, but you're confident that she'll be able to reach that sun at least. And so long as she doesn't venture too far away, she should be fine. But yeah, uh, as you travel, you absorb this new mystery that almost led to a tragedy if it wasn't for your quick thinking and uh more questions for you to explore and answer in the future that was a lot of fun i love opia and uh i can't wait to see more of her she can't wait to see more of people who aren't whales. <laughs> Duke. <laughs> whales are Tuke. She um, loves Tuke, but it's been years. Yes. But who knows? We may be seeing Opia in the future. But uh, thank you so much for playing, Caitlin. Thank you so much for having me. Would you like to tell the fine folks at home who you are and where they can find you on the internet and plug any other projects that you may have coming up or in the past? Oh, man. This is where I should write these down and keep it where <laughs> I know where it is. Um, so my name is Caitlin Camp. Um, you can find me on Instagram at at sunshine underscore Kate. That is K-A-I-T, the proper way of spelling it. And <laughs> you can also find me on Lost on Fables Around the Table um, as Posey Drew Fisher. Mm-hmm. Reggie's best friend. Reggie's best friend. Reggie. Yeah. And then um, you can also find me on the upcoming season on Fables Around the Table, uh, where we play Bluebeard's Bride. And that season is titled Tiffany. It's going to be a good one. Yeah, I can't wait to listen. But anyway, thanks again for playing, Caitlin. And uh, I can't wait for Opia to reemerge into our story sometime down the line. Sorry, I have an image of whales breaching in my head. <laughs> it's fine. Just uh-huh. yep. crash. Uh-huh. Hello, it's Opia. <laughs> <laughs> hey everyone, Nick here. A weekly, but we hope it is well worth the wait. 
As you can probably tell, we are doing something new before we jump back into our main story with Chapter 5. This episode guests our friends Caitlin Camp as Opia, Roger Page as Roxlam, and Garrett Kimmel as Visco, each in their own solo one-shot. These interludes are little canonical glimpses to what's going on in other corners of Crotspace, while Marco, Luckbeak, and Ravnus are zipping around with Val on the Voidfarer. These were an absolute blast to put together, so we hope you enjoy them. We'll be picking back up with Chapter 5, back on the normal schedule, a week from today on Tuesday, May 18th. We have launched our Patreon. If you've been enjoying our show and the other Project Derailed podcasts like Fables Around the Table and Big Streaming Pile, we would appreciate you considering supporting us on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash projectderailed to do that. You'll get access to VIP channels on our Discord server, Q&A priority, and extended Q&A episodes, and at the $7 tier, a whole new podcast featuring the Project Derailed crew. And hey, we know this past year has been hard for many of you, so if you can't contribute monetarily, no sweat. Sharing us on social media and leaving a review on iTunes are great ways to support us at no cost to you. And of course, we are simply appreciative of you just listening. Feel free to follow us on social media at VoidfarerPod on Twitter and at VoidfarerPodcast on Facebook. You can hang out with us on the Project Derailed Discord by going to projectderailed.com slash discord. The new season of Fables Around the Table is starting up tomorrow, titled Tiffany. GM Chelsea Rexinger weaves a horror tale as players Fiona L.F. Kelly, Annie Kimmel, who played Penny on Fables Curse, and Caitlin Camp, who you just heard as Opia, take on the role of different aspects of the bride of a powerful blue-bearded noble as they explore his haunted mansion. Playing Bluebeard's Bride by Magpie Games. Will you open the door? Stick around to the end of the episode for a trailer. Music by purple-planet.com with some original music by Tom Goldthwaite mixed in there. And also, later in this episode, you'll hear a special music piece featuring yours truly, written with help from Tom Goldthwaite and Garrett Kimmel. And also, shout out to my brother, Marky Spat of the band Highland Rose for single-handedly recording and mixing that whole thing on such short notice. And thanks to Garrett, Tom, Mark, and Fiona for adding voices. I'm not a music person at all, and this was a wholly new experience for me. So huge shout out to everyone else for making this wild idea of mine a reality. Do you experience digital eye strain from too much blue light exposure from digital screens? Baxter blue glasses are not your average frames. These blue light lenses filter 80% of the highest energy blue light, eliminating 99% of glare. The past year, we've all been glued to our devices more than ever. And I'll tell you what, I definitely feel the strain from those hours of podcast editing it takes to produce Tales of the Voidfarer. Baxter Blue is also a force for good, providing a pair of reading glasses for someone in need for every pair sold. This is eyewear built for our digital age, and Baxter Blue is giving our listeners 10% off your next purchase of blue light, sleep, or kids' glasses. Click the link in the show notes to get in on that deal. Give your eyes a break with some Baxter Blue glasses. Battle poet Roxalum Blueflow. It is your first off-duty day in a long time. Normally, each personnel aboard the Lorethian should receive regular passes every week, but due to the very nature of this battle group's 
recruitment. Uh, the fleet sends their most troublesome recruits here. It is the punishment assignment. So this ship and this entire division of the Elven Imperial Navy has been undermanned for months. And most sailors have been waiting weeks for a single day of leave. And after those days of waiting, you finally have yours. It is the morning. You have whatever you are planning to do for the day ahead of you, but you at the least figure that starting it off with breakfast in the mess is probably the best way to go. So you're actually on your way from the barracks to the mess hall of this Elven Armada class vessel. Why don't you describe what Roxalem looks like? Uh, Roxalem is a uh, a elf with white hair. It's kind of sleek and 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 thin, and uh, his face is very. Um, I would say it's like a, like a long and um, not thin, but like craggly. I guess is the descriptor I would use. And um, he is. I think it. <laughs> The, the best way I can describe him is he looks like he is perpetually tired. <laughs> Roxlim is a, just very bored, and uh, I think he, he always looks like he is bored and tired because he likely is always bored and tired. Um, so he's just very uh, kind of lanky looking almost uh, just because he's not very... Um, I wouldn't say that he has to work out very much, um, so he is not very like physically active. Although he does, you know, do his drills and all of that um, aboard the ship, but you know, he's certainly not trying to get swole, bro. Right, right. Hopefully, you have a day to alleviate some of that boredom, because all this ship does is sit in its orbit around Nadir Anchorage here in Crot Space, being the quote-unquote adult in the room, which is the stance that the elven fleet tends to take. Just making sure nobody does anything unseemly and that order is maintained. So you're on your way to the mess hall and uh, you're weaving your way through the corridors and lower quarters of this massive elven armada. Everything is made out of organic plant matter, green leaves and stems that has hardened to a resin that is almost as hard as steel. And you're still not quite used to the sheer size of this ship. You've never been stationed on an Elven Armada class vessel before and used to the smaller Elven men of war or smaller craft. So the sheer size of everything, the twisting corridors below decks, the fact that the higher you go, it transitions from your standard below deck sort of arrangement to almost like a actual castle or citadel positioned on the back of this giant butterfly or moth shaped ship. The ship is so large. It's easy to see how the elves tend to take for granted their dominance in any given sphere as they tend to be the biggest ship on the playground. So you get to the mess and uh, it is particularly busy at the moment with not many open seats. The, 599th GIF Infantry, or the Umberhulks as they call themselves, are here taking up at least half of the mess and being loud and boisterous. And it's always a pain in the ass and a headache whenever you happen to visit the mess at the same time where they are. <sighs> and they've been almost a ever-present 
presence here on the ship as the Admiral, Admiral Torella Arwid, has taken to hiring gift mercenaries to supplement her elven troops as a response to ongoing personnel problems. But regardless, you head up to grab a tray and get your food. And the first meal of the day today is leftover scaver filet from the night prior, which the space shark-like creatures are not usually thought of as appetizing, but it was well-prepared, yesterday at least. But in addition to that, poached duck eggs and some light bread with uh, dried cranberries baked in with a honey glaze. It looks good, but it's a little stale. But you retrieve your tray of food and you go to see if you can find a open seat. All right. Um, where, are the, where are the nearest like uh, uh, tables and who's sitting at them? Yeah, I think you naturally kind of like try to find a table as far from the gif as possible. Just yes. Yeah, they're loud and occasionally they get excited and things go flying. Yeah, I'm like, if they are close, I want to be as far from them as possible. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, It doesn't look like there's no empty tables, but you do Mm -hmm. see the table closest to the bulkhead that you entered through um, Mm -hmm. does have one person, and you recognize her. It is Helmsmage Vyra Fawin, who is something of a friend of yours since your deployment here. She actually catches your eye and will will wave you over. I will wave back and make my way over, making sure Uh, to not make eye contact with any of the Neanderthals. (laughs) Neanderthals. They're large hippo people. (laughs) They would be very offended if you called them Neanderthals. That's the point. They're proud hippo folk. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But yeah, you sit down next to Vyra. Um, She is a slender elf wearing her standard elven mage's uniform. As you know, she is a helm's mage. Uh, She has a shoulder patch that is comprised of a stylized butterfly-like man-of-war insignia which is like almost like an M-shaped, um, that denotes her as a helm's mage, and there's a single stripe extending straight down, denoting her as third class, um, which is the same class as you. It's similar in style to the patch you wear, which instead of the man-of-war symbol, there is a stylized mandolin, um, which is a reference to the time when battle poets were literally minstrels on the battlefield. But yeah, she has her uniform uh, unbuttoned at the top, just wearing it real casually. And rather than having the approved tight braid, her hair is just kind of in like a messy bun. So I hear you have the day off today. Yeah, yeah, finally. It's been it's been a while. You know, I haven't really gotten in a, a day off in, in in quite a while, so you know, it's uh should be pretty good, you know. Might uh head down to Nadir Anchorage and 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 see what's see what's uh going on. You know, maybe taking the sights, taking the sounds, the flesh. Did I say the flesh? Um, I didn't mean that. <laughs> she snorts a little bit as she's taking a sip of mead. Yeah, I don't blame you. I, uh, I've been meaning to make it down there myself, uh, but I haven't had a day of leave. It's been almost a month, I think. And on top of that, I have bridge duty today. She says uh, exasperatedly. Important business. Yes, standing around on the bridge, serving as the first helmsman in reserve for Helm's Mage at Varus. He hasn't been incapacitated in ever, I think, so I'm basically a glorified bodyguard. I mean, I would say falling asleep, you know, is, is being incapacitated, so he's, he's pretty, pretty incapacitated most of the time. 
Yeah, it's not like the ship goes anywhere. Mm-hmm. Something catches her eye over your shoulder um, from the door. And she goes, uh-oh, um, I know that look. And she starts kind of rummaging in her pack, and she pulls out a little bit of gum Arabic, and she says, Quartermaster Vincerin's on a special mission. Uh, oh no. Yeah, and you glance, and you see the dour old elf in his crisp officer's uniform with the insignia of the Quartermaster, one of the highest-ranking officers aboard, and head of operations aboard this ship. He steps into the mess and urgently begins scanning the ensigns within, and you glance back at Vyra and see she has vanished. Oh, charming. We were... Okay, I guess... All right. Battle Poet Blue Flow, at attention! And, um... I will uh, drop my fork and, uh, you know, stand up and and uh, straighten out my, my outfit and turn around and stand straight up. <laughs> Eyes forward, feet parallel at shoulder width, your right hand across your chest resting loosely on your left pectoral and your left forearm behind your back parallel to the ground, palm out. The stance actually imitates how you would hold a slung bow from rattling while marching the string across your chest and the lower bow limb behind your back. And Quartermaster Vincerin says, you're being reassigned, sailor. These orders supersede your previously assigned duties for the day. Um, I didn't have any duties for the day. Perfect. The then operations to the ship shall be minimally affected. But so I I don't I don't get the day off. A diplomatic vessel has made contact and wishes to parley. We have deemed these diplomats not a threat, but the admiral cannot be bothered to receive them at this time. So you are now to serve as her emissary. These orders are coming directly from the admiral herself, which um you have to kind of chuckle to yourself because. You've never met the Admiral in person, and you <laughs> doubt she even knows your name. <laughs> Beautiful. Mm, handpicked, huh? Yeah, you're pretty sure he came in here and just the first person he saw. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, and he says, You are to receive them and escort them directly to Conference Stateroom 4, where you will entertain them. Still that they are shown the utmost of hospitality. Engage them, make sure they feel that you, and by extension the Admiral, is interested in them, where they are from, and what they have to say. Fake it if you must. Answer their inquiries to the best of your ability, but you are not to discuss military operations, tactics, trade deals, nor are they allowed to observe onboard armaments, supplies, or procedures. You have 15 minutes to don your dress uniform and report to Docking Bay 12. You are dismissed. So what can we talk about? You are clever. I am sure you'll figure something out. Just simply keep them occupied until they see fit to leave. Do not offend them, as we do not want a diplomatic incident on our hands. All right. Well, thank you for nothing, I guess. (laughs) He ignores your comment and turns on his heel (laughs) and leaves. (laughs) (laughs) You glance back at the table just in time to see Vyra dispel her invisibility spell. She looks uh, kind of cringing slightly, and she says, Sorry. <sighs> it's it's okay. It's not your fault. He's a real prick. Yep. So, um, I assume you follow your orders? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess I, guess I don't really have much of a choice, do I? So, I'll kind of just say, well... 
I guess I'll see you around. And uh, just take my tray and start to leave and go get my dress uniform on, I suppose. Alrighty. Uh, yeah, as you leave, she just kind of whispers, good luck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and 15 minutes to get across the ship and then get back to the, the docking bays. Uh, yeah, you pretty much have to sprint back to your barracks and uh, you change. It's not the, the best job. It's not as uh, your seams aren't as crisp as they should be. But nonetheless, you have successfully donned your dress uniform and you head down to docking bay 12. And it's actually the middle deck, kind of the highest, most like regular deck of the ship, but not including the like fortressy parts of it that are above. But it's like a large enclosed hangar that has bays that other ships can come in and dock at. And then you see the big like kind of arching openings that go out onto the wings of this giant moth-shaped ship that is the elven armada and you can see dozens and dozens of small elven flitters which are small butterfly shaped craft that are only big enough for one or two people just sitting out there in rows like on an like an aircraft carrier basically but docking bay 12 stands out like a sore thumb because the ship that is docked within it is a stark contrast to the natural green organic structures that make up the rest of this elven ship the ship there is a small modest looking wooden vessel but augmented all over the place with brass and steel that looks just as ornamental as it is functional more curious still is you can see that there's a translucent distortion of turbulent air in a thin ring that seems to go all the way around the midsection of the ship held in place by four metal mass like appendages that come out the sides in the top and bottom and standing just off the ship waiting patiently are two warforged both dressed in simple robes navy blue with brass buttons and ornamentation and filigree one is taller and slender and the other is standing nearly a head shorter with a more stockier frame and around them is about a half dozen elven guards who are just here to make sure they don't wander into the ship before you arrive and you see that the shorter Warforged is talking at them, and all of the elves look very uncomfortable. Beautiful. So as you approach, the taller one sees you and straightens her posture a little bit, and she speaks with a feminine voice clasping her hands front, and she says, Hello, I am Emissary Urbane of the Children of Sybaris, and this is my counterpart, Emissary Palaver. It's a pleasure to meet you. I am Emissary Palaver. And they both kind of give a little bow. We are here representing the children of Sybaris, the central culture for all forged peoples in wild space. And we were given strict instructions to establish diplomatic relations with the elven imperial fleet in Crotspace, as to ensure that our presence does not incite a diplomatic incident. Well, uh... And, uh, <laughs> Roxalim will, um, <laughs> Roxalim will nod and, uh, bow back at them and, uh, say, well, I am battle poet Roxalim Blue Flow, and I have been given strict instructions to greet you and establish diplomatic relations so as <laughs> to not offend you. <laughs> Emissary Urbane says, Splendid! 
I am glad <laughs> we are in agreement. And Emissary Palaver, the shorter Warforged, goes, Battle Poet, that is an interesting title. Might I inquire into its origins? It is essentially a a glorified minstrel, but that is really not even what I do. What I do now is, well, not much. This is probably the most I've done. Yep. That is that's fascinating. <laughs> I am I'm, fascinated in the cultures of others. Well, then I would I would be glad to tell you all about my days here aboard the Lorethian. Um, <laughs> Emissary Urbane, uh, the taller of the two forged, uh, doesn't really have a reaction to that. She's she's standing still with her hands clasped in front of her with a straight mm -hmm. back. But Emissary Palaver, uh, and his expression is very hard to read because it's a warforged, but his like jaw kind of hangs open a little bit in like... Mm -hmm. And you can't help but like read like excitement and like while it's open he kind of like glances up at Urbane and glances back at you and says this sounds like a discussion I would most like to have when can we start it why not now and uh, I will kind of gesture and 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 try to lead them sure they will follow you and you lead them to the staterooms, which is where a lot of guests are kept and even a lot of officers' quarters are in this. And it's actually the lowest level of like the fortress. So you kind of go up a deck from the docking bays, kind of navigate some corridors, and you eventually get to conference stateroom four. Now the whole time, Emissary Palaver is like head on a swivel, wide-eyed, his jaw still kind of hanging slack, taking in everything and even reaching out and feeling the organic leaf-like walls and wandering over the gold-colored crystals that are kind of uh, inlaid into the ceiling with vines that kind of make up the structures and the interior of this massive elven vessel. He just seems so full of wonder and occasionally like he'll like be touching something and like Urbane will like kind of tisk at him and then like shake her head and he'll have to like pull himself back in a little bit but uh but yeah you eventually get to the conference room and it's a large oval conference room the walls made out of the interlocking like leaf like panels and the conference table itself is polished wood with the natural uneven edge that still has like the bark on it. And there is a dozen matching chairs all the way around and a large yellow crystal in the ceiling that provides a soft, pale illumination. And yeah, the, the two Warforged kind of stand into the room and they stand awkwardly there looking at you as if they don't know what to do next. Um, and then... <laughs> Um, Roxalem will will um, pull out a chair and say, "Please, please sit," and 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 gesture to the the seat. Yeah, they do so, and uh, Urbane sits very primly. Polliver takes a second to marvel over the wood that the the table and chairs is made out of uh, before taking a seat as well. And uh, he, as he's like looking around, still like slack jawed and just wondering over everything he's like even starts kind of like picking at like the the lacquered bark of the table and urbane like kind of slaps his hand there's a metal on metal cling of the slap and he recoils it 
Polliver is just like, I have so many questions, I do not know where to start. And just stops. He doesn't say anything else. It literally is like his processes are just like overloading and he does not know how to continue. (laughs) (laughs) And um, (laughs) Roxxon will kind of like hesitate when he's like, I don't know where to start. And he'll kind of look at him attentively. And then when he doesn't say anything, just go, (laughs) all right. And um, I guess I'll I'll sit then. I'll, how about I sit? You know, I'll just sit right here across from you. And uh, I, I guess I'll start with with a question. Okay, um, tell me about yourselves. Polliver kind of uh, his his mouth shuts, and he kind of cocks his head, thinking about that, like he wasn't expecting that kind of question. Urbane, on the other hand, is not phased at all, and she goes. Well, we are emissaries from the children of Sybaris. Uh, and she actually just starts repeating the exact same thing she said right off of the ship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> emissaries of the children of Sybaris, the central culture for all forged peoples in wild space. And we are sent given strict instructions to establish diplomatic relations with the elven imperial fleet in Kratzbase to ensure that our presence does not incite a diplomatic incident. And then after that, there's like a pause, like that that was the recited answer. And then she goes, The children of Sybaris originally hailed from a world called Eberron in a little-known sphere commonly referred to as shard space. And she like starts just rambling into things like something called the Hundred Year War and the various houses and airships and someone called the Lord of Blades and basically an exhaustive history of the Warforged people and the children of Sybaris as an organization into their flight from the planet out into wild space and the subsequent several hundred years where their technology has begun slowly being integrated into the greater Magitech of wild space and all of that stuff. And you were not prepared for the sheer wall of information you receive (laughs) yeah yeah so i i guess at the first opportunity of like a real break once i'm like okay they're just not gonna stop talking you know usually (laughs) usually people just tell you a a couple of fun facts about yourself you know it's it's more of an icebreaker question than anything really but you know I, i that might be a little that might be a little too much i'm sorry that was my fault i shouldn't have asked and and you're right Urbane, uh, Urbane suddenly stops and goes, Oh, I am terribly sorry. I did not mean to offend. I am so sorry if I, in any way, misread the situation and caused offense in any way. And suddenly both of these Warforged seem very, like, overwhelmingly apologetic. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's okay. I just, you know, it's just normal to to have these misunderstandings, you know, when when you're getting to know when you're getting to know people, you know, I see. <laughs> no, go ahead. Go ahead. That's all they say. That's all just, they say. They, they seem see. like they are now scared to say anything else. <laughs> all right. <laughs> so you're establishing d- d- diplomatic relations and uh you know what's uh what 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 is I, I guess what do you want to to tell us i guess or you're just being here is is establishing diplomatic relations not sure not sure how these things work correct i don't know if you know how these things work either though <laughs> Irving <laughs> cocks her head and thinks about that for a second and says 
we represent the children of Cyprus, the central culture of all forged <laughs> oh, peoples in Wildspin, <laughs> and and the whole spiel. But at the end of that, she clarifies that we simply wish to make ourselves known so that our presence is not a surprise and we are not perceived as a threat. And and Roxlim's just kind of rubbing his temples. Mm-hmm. Okay. And and you think you would be a threat how exactly? I or perceived as a threat? I am unsure. I only have the directives I was given. Alright, well that sounds like we have that in common. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Urbane will say. But you must be of the utmost important of individuals if you were the one chosen to receive us on behalf of your admiral. I like to think I'm important, but there are certainly those who have higher ranks than myself. Surely you're being modest. No. Look how fancily you're dressed. And and Roxlin will kind of look at his disheveled outfit and smooth it out a little bit. I guess it is, it is kind of nice, right? I should say so. Someday I wish to have such a fancy outfit. <laughs> I mean, we could we could just trade places, you know. His jaw kind of drops open slightly in that, like, you've now associated it with excitement. And he just swivels his head with a creak to look at Urbane. And Urbane just kind of, like, primly in a very microscopic shake of her head back and forth. His jaw just goes, and he looks a little disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) At that moment, two side doors open and several elven stewards come in, which is, like, normal procedure and they come mm-hmm. in with a huge platter of assorted cheeses and the rolls that have like the cranberry with the honey glaze but you you can smell that these ones are fresh not the stale ones they were handing out in the mess for breakfast we, we break out the good stuff for the guests yeah and then there's like a pitcher of chilled elderberry wine and various fruits and uh it's this huge lavish very fancy platter of food and they set it down and both warforged just like their body's not moving at all but their heads just on a swivel just kind of like watch it come in and set down and they both look at it and they look at each other and then palaver kind of turns to you and goes oh i am sorry as forged we don't and then urbane stops him and leans forward and kind of whispers in his quote unquote ear. And they both like sit back up and look at you. And Urbane says, thank you for this generous offering. We would love to partake of it. And they take some of the food and put it in their mouths and kind of like chew it up. But like cookie monster style, it just kind of like falls out of their mouth. And they go, mmm, good. <laughs> Roxlin will absolutely laugh and just kind of like, <laughs> like just, and, and he's like stifling the laugh, but it's still a laugh nonetheless of just, uh-huh. oh, oh, really? Um, all right. Well, uh, you know, you don't have to eat it if you don't want to, or, or you can't, you know, I, I don't think Nonsense. they really thought about who our, our friends were that were going to be visiting. Nonsense. We do not mean to offend. Oh, we would gladly accept this offering. And they take more of the food. <laughs> oh, oh, God. <laughs> it's just like specks of food flying all mm-hmm. over the place, getting on the table. Mush. And just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, just please, like, uh, honestly, no, you know what? And and actually, uh, Roxlum will kind of slide the, the, the platter further away from them 
and just you, you know actually I think you know if if you don't if you don't want to have the food you know you, you don't need to it, you know no offense taken seriously it's okay and uh, he, he will take one of the fresh uh, pieces of bread and and, uh, and and hold that for himself you know I, I will eat but you certainly don't need to eat the the two Warforge kind of stop and they look at each other and Poliver says oh Perhaps this was a culture where we were expected to politely decline. And then both Warforged turn back to you and they immediately go into like full like, we're so sorry, apologetic mode. Just, oh, when you guys really just having, you know, just two different modes here, huh? You know, just, it's, it's okay. Honestly, it's, it's fine. It's fine. You know, we're no offense taken. Like I said, I, I honestly, n- none at all. And then I just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go back to eating this thing. <laughs> they they nod and they they seem to get the message eventually and eventually uh Polliver seems to uh regain some of his wonder of the room around him and he goes tell me is your ship really constructed from the mother tree of a starfly plant this is what it says in the children of sybaris's enthenaeum of knowledge well if it's in the Encyclopedia Britannica, then it's got to be right. <laughs> he will nod and goes, <laughs> Yes, then it must also be true for the elves' fiery hatred of dwarves and the genocides that took place many years ago against the goblin kind. And I- uh, and Urbane kind of looks at Polliver like she's going to say something. Actually, at that, Roxlim will... Uh, he'll actually have like a little bit of a uh, perk in energy of yes, yes, it is. <laughs> it is true. And I've been saying that for so long and everyone here doesn't want to talk about it. But I love that you want to talk about it. Uh, Urbane will say, oh, good. For a moment, I was worried that Emissary Polliver had created a great offense in bringing up such sensitive subjects well you know i've 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 brought up such offense bringing it up myself with those around me so i could understand it is good to know that we are in a culture that speaks of such things openly you know maybe not a culture (laughs) that speaks of these things openly but certainly with this elf in particular uh, we speak of these things openly. Maybe not with someone else in on on this ship, but <laughs> me, yes. I I think you get it. At that point, there is a heavy thud, thud, thud on the door that can only be the knock of a gif, and the door kind of creaks open, and you see poking his large hippo snout into the room, Corporal Barnaby Swain. I am. Um- Terribly sorry, battle poet. I believe there must have been uh, some sort of mix-up, good lad. But uh, I reserved this conference state room at this hour for the gift daily discussions of bombardier battle tactics and light philosophical debates. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. You'll have to take that up with, um, what's his name? I don't even know. Quartermaster Ven Karen. Ven Karen? Mm-hmm. But you see, we have reserved this room at the same hour every day since our employment here. Well, you know, I I don't I don't really know. I just you know, I was I was just told to 
talk to my friends here, and, uh, they're... We do not mean offense. If this room had prior engagements, we will gladly pause our discussions and wait quietly in the hallway for you to conduct your business, Master Gif. All right. I mean, <laughs> sure. I guess, I guess we'll just, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. You know what? Yeah, sure. Why not? You know, you guys want to do it? Let's let's do it. And with that, Barnaby Swain says, Very good, very good. And he turns around and, It was just a simple mix-up, lads. Come on in. And he comes in and he's immediately followed by a dozen other gifts that immediately fill the room, forcing you and the Warforged to kind of squeeze your way out. And they immediately start helping themselves to the the food that was on the conference table. Of course they uh, do. It, it's gone in seconds. Of course they do. And so. and as they're eating it, I'm just that actually that was you, you know what? Yeah, you're just going to eat it all? Okay, yep, yeah, okay. Uh, as you as you're leaving, Barnaby's already beginning conducting the business and it's like, "All right, chaps, all right. Let us start with old business." <laughs> <laughs> The current state of the smoke powder market is such that... And then you you just leave. And as you get out into the hallway, both of the Warforged just take a couple strides across the hall and turn and just stand there. Then they don't say anything. I, um... I'm sorry. I don't... I don't know what... I don't know what that was. Like I said, I... I, uh... I didn't... I didn't pick the room. So, you know, I just kind of did what I was told so you know what let me just let me just pop my head in another room and, and see if, if that's available huh and uh, I will try to see if there's a it's another door nearby that I can check yep uh, in fact conference stateroom 3 right across the hall is available although it looks like uh, there was a, a meeting not long before and it has not been cleaned up since then um, and of course uh, another platoon of GIF had this one as well. Um, so it is a disheveled mess, but it is the only available uh, room at the moment. And um, I will, I'll, I will actually like go in the room and uh, like leave the door like half open and just make like, Hmm, well sounds in there while I'm, I'm pretending like I'm actually like, just wasting time because boy oh boy do i have no idea what to do and then pop my head out you know actually and closing the door behind me i don't think this room's gonna do at all you know you, you just i i think that it's just it's not it's not fitting for uh you know such you know uh you know, charming uh diplomats uh such as yourselves and um yeah, so... The hospitality let, of the elven imperial fleet knows no bounds. Oh, we yeah. We appreciate such grand measures that you are going to to accommodate us. You know, how about we go on a tour? That would be amazing. When do we start? Um, you know, in, in five seconds... Uh, then- he literally stands there and just freezes all of his like motor functions and stares straight ahead for a solid, precise five seconds. <laughs> and then when it's done, he just looks back at you. <laughs> his his jaw still hanging like open and slightly like lopsided. <laughs> and then I'm like, I just wanted to see if you would wait exactly five seconds. All right, perfect. Why would I not? I do not mean to offend. 
<laughs> and just, Perfect. And just turns around and starts walking. Uh-huh. So, yeah. So you were given specific instructions to, like, not show them too much of the ship. Um, yep. Do you ignore those orders? Or- yep. I mean, these people don't seem like threats. Uh, and uh, they, they, seem pretty, they seem pretty dope. I'm going to... I'm going to take them, since they were so interested in food, I'm going to take them to the mess hall. Sure. Um, yeah, you, you take them to the mess hall, and Polliver is still like that, that slack-jawed, wide-eyed you know, expression uh, as you're walking through. Metallic footfalls clamping on like the organic plant resin of the floors and everything. And he's just like walking, just arms straight down, not swinging at all. But his head is like constantly pivoting, like focusing on an object and then moving to another one and just taking in every little detail with excitement. And meanwhile, Urbane is just striding along elegantly with her hands clasped behind her back. But uh, yeah, you go to the mess. Um, It's between meals right now, so there's not a whole lot of people in here. There's a few elves that are playing Spacer's Gambit at one of the tables. And they do kind of like look over and give you a weird look when they see you're standing there with two robot people. And I kind of glare at them like, you know, mind your business. (laughs) I'm just like, fucking what? (laughs) Yeah. Like, do your own thing. I was like, this was my this was supposed to be my day off. Uh, I'm going to have fun with my day off. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'm just like, you know, this is the this is the mess hall and there's usually meals had in here and and just kind of show them the entire room. Um, yeah, they, they look around and they say, thank you, but we have already eaten and they'll look at each other and nod like they, they've decided that this was the the polite thing that they're supposed to do at this point. And then I'll just be like, yes, that was very respectful of you. Thank you. And yes, I have also already eaten. So I was just, you know, including that on the tour. But I see, you know, where I made my mistake. So you're right. I I shouldn't have mentioned food because you didn't quite grasp that before when I talked about it. But, you know, it's okay. We didn't cause any offense, did we? They say, no, like, looking no, nervously no, at each please, other. No, no, please, please, no offense. No, no, that's, no, <laughs> no offense. No offense. <laughs> you know, everything's good. You know, um, what, you know, anything else you would be interested in seeing? You know, maybe you here, old slack jaw? <laughs> yeah, he's still looking around. Uh, and he kind of has his back to you because he's took a couple steps into the room just observing everything. And standing still, his head just turns around to look at you a little uh off-putting at first i would like to see as much as possible uh you know (laughs) roxlin will have like a little bit of a moment of like do do i want to do i want to potentially get yelled at today yeah urbane will actually speak up and say now emissary (laughs) polliver certainly we would not want to over intrude and overstay our welcome and Polliver, uh, his mouth shuts and he regards Urbane and, and eventually will nod in agreement. Urbane will turn back to you and say, you have shown us the utmost of hospitality. And I believe that our diplomatic relations with the Elven Imperial Navy have been well established. And just standing in the middle of the mess hall, she'll reach into her cloak and pull out a device, which... 
is made out of brass and has like an orangish yellowish crystal embedded in it and she crouches down and sets it on the floor and it deploys like little tripod legs and it begins whirring and spinning and a little light comes on in the middle of the crystal and the elves over there playing cards have put down their cards and they're now like side-eyeing really hard what this is because it's it's whirring and beeping uh what is that what is that (laughs) Urbane has crouched down next to it and doesn't answer you and she speaks into the device I am happy to report that we have successfully established diplomatic contact with the elven imperial fleet you may proceed with the succeeding subroutine there's a moment of silence and she seems to be waiting for something Um, what's the the succeeding subroutine Anybody want to clue me in? Neither of them answer you, but a voice comes from the device. Affirmative, Emissary Urbane. Proceeding with the subroutine. And the little crystal, the light inside it flickers with each syllable. And Urbane looks satisfied and picks up the device and folds it and tucks it neatly back into her robe. And then both of them just look at you and don't say anything. And then the whole ship shudders. Um alarm bells start going off. Initially one you hear it distantly down a corridor and then another one on the other side and then a few others nearby until alarm bells are going off everywhere. The the elves that were there leave their deck of cards and immediately get up and start running and you're just left standing there and these warforged are just standing there happily looking at you. Um you know what why don't why don't we um why don't we why don't we get you back to your ship? You know, you've established, you know, contact, you know, we've contacted, you know, it's good. Everybody's been contacted. You can just let's shall we just out. an out of breath figure suddenly appears in the doorway. It is quartermaster Van Karen. Battle poet Blue Flow. The Admiral would like to see you on the bridge and bring the esteemed emissaries. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you ascend up to the fortress levels of the ship on the back of the armada and eventually get to the bridge which is a wide overhang that's partially enclosed that has a huge view out in front of the ship and you can see off to the left the mass of nadir anchorage this asteroid made up of all these ships crammed together and uh, many smaller ships around but the thing that fills the entire viewport is a gargantuan ship you've never seen before. One that makes the elven armada ship that you stand on, the ship that was previously the largest ship in the system, seem small. This long, narrow ship seems to be a single massive airship that looks like it had other ships cobbled onto it over time and has a huge ring of fire that encircles its center with large metal masts sticking up from the top to bottom and sides grabbing onto it. This ring easily 
300 feet in diameter and standing there with her hands clasped behind her back, the stoic middle-aged elven woman with long straight auburn hair, the Admiral Torella Arwid. And she turns to you and says, Battle poet Roxalem Blue Flow. What did you do? Yikes. That was so much fun. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the wild ride I had planned for you. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was good. I liked that. <laughs> Down the road, we may run into battle poet Roxalem Blue Flow again. But there's one thing you know for sure now that the admiral knows your name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, at at least at least we're we're going somewhere. You know, we're we're moving up in the world. Notoriety. <laughs> Yeah, notoriety for sure. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, thank you so much for joining me, Roger. Where can people find you on the internet? Um, I am streaming on Facebook Gaming and also on Twitch. Um, I'm also on Twitter. Um, so my uh, Twitch is uh, Mr. Roger. That is M-I-S-T-E-R-R-O-D-G-E-R. Um, same thing on Facebook Gaming, facebook.com slash Mr. Roger. Um, so I do stream um, usually Wednesdays through Sundays. Um, so I stream a variety of games and all that kind of stuff. So um, if you're interested in that kind of thing, check me out there. I'm also on Twitter, like I said. Um, and my uh, my uh, Twitter, I can't even remember the name of it right now. I think it's Raj Needs a New Name. Um, R-O-V-G. Oh, yes, Needs <laughs> a New Name um, on Twitter. So um, I do tweet very rarely. So I wouldn't recommend you follow me. But if you're interested in following an account that'll never tweet, I'm your guy. <laughs> Just, just tweet him all of the questions uh, that you want him to answer as if he were a Warforged. Just blow up those notifications on his Twitter account that he never used. Yeah, just so. give me the full-fledged history of the Warforged. Um, yeah. And just give me way more information than I really needed when I just asked you to tell me about yourselves. Yep. Like you do on Twitter. Yeah, like you do. <laughs> so... All right. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for joining me, Roger. Um, this was a lot of fun, and I hope to do more stuff like this in the future. Yeah, it was, it was a good time. Warden's 12. The nightmare rules Overwatch 9. Galloping through the void. Jam away sunward by will of the Warden's 12. Brimstone and shadow trail her, steer clear or be destroyed. Jam away sunward, by will of the Wardens 12. Worldward, lads, worldward! We jam our way worldward, to visit home Kratori. Jam our way worldward, by will of the Wardens 12. We jam our way worldward, to tell good mates our story. Jam our way worldward by will of the Warden's Twelve. Spirit! <laughs> the heretic has watched ten, held within unholy grip. Jam away, Spearward, by will of the Warden's Twelve. We mutter evil prayers 
till from his gaze we slip. Jam away, sphere word, by will of the wardens twelve. Phoenix rules eleven, rising up in flame and feather. Jam away, sunward, by will of the wardens twelve. Her light casts out the shadows, but burns in equal measure. Jam away, sunward, by will of the wardens twelve. By will of the wardens twelve. The crew of the lead vogel concludes the ancient Kratorian spell jamming shanty, the wardens twelve, or at least what they know of it. The song has been meticulously reconstructed and translated by their captain from the lost notes and records over the last few months. The hammer ship that serves as the home and transportation of Captain Visco's traveling troubadours is on its way to a location deep within the uncharted regions of Krat space of a particular interest to its captain. The ship is decorated ostentatiously in bright reds and purples and greens with intricate gold filigree and a very Venetian festival sort of vibe. The mast and sails are equally colorful, adorned with vibrant banners and streamers with intricate patterns and stitching. The shantyman, a jolly, rotund halfling named Yarin Barleygrove, looks up for approval from his captain. And there on the aft castle, Captain Visco himself is seated in a cushy velvet high back chair with clawed feet, one of his legs up over the armrest. And uh, Garrett, why don't you describe what Captain Visco looks like? So Captain Visco is a grayish, reddish, almost like a rust-colored tiefling um, with ram's horns and dressed very fine in some of the most ornate and expensive fabrics that gold can buy. Um, I imagine that he is wearing purples and golds and reds and looking just as uh, festive as his ship does. Absolutely. And he just has an air to him that is... uh, Oh, yes. The air of importance, for sure. Absolutely. But the shantyman, Yarin Barleygrove, after concluding leading the crew in this song, kind of looks up to you and goes, I hope that was to your liking, Captain. (sighs) I suppose, Yarin. I suppose it was. Uh, And and he seems to take that as the best compliment he's probably going to receive. (laughs) and heads off to continue to oversee the work of the crew. And at that point, from your lofty vantage point at the rear of the ship, you see your first mate, Batten Throp, a grizzled, balding human with a hunched back and an eye patch, approaching you expediently. And as he gets close to you, he goes, Captain, we're approaching our destination. He says with his now characteristic stutter that he received after a frightening bout of flotsam fever a few months back. He managed to pull through. However, the ordeal has left him never quite the same. He's just as loyal as ever, though. Loyal to a fault, almost. And he remains the only one you trust with the finer details of your sailing operations. Mm-hmm. Very well, Batten. Ready the crew. For here, we shall find the 12th. Aye, aye, ca- ca- Captain. Our, our informant c- claims the, sh- the ship is untouched and of Kratorian c- c- make. Qu- quite promising indeed. Uh, very well. Get them down there. 
for the looting, I suppose. He'll nod and uh, will go off to do so. And at about that time, the the ship decelerates quickly from spell jamming speed, which is this weird disorienting thing where you don't actually feel the momentum as you slow. It's just suddenly the space around you that was whizzing by suddenly comes to a halt by comparison. And you find in front of you a cluster of debris, a flotsam field, small asteroids floating around in clusters among other remains and debris, and the old and disheveled remains of a Kratorian dragonfly. Its gold-colored wing-like fins battered and misshapen, and what remains of its leg-like appendages broken and deformed by a millennia of colliding with asteroids and other spaceborne debris. Its long, narrow hull seems mostly intact, and the two distant pinpricks of light in the black, the dual suns of Krat space, glimmer off of the narrow cinder shard channels that run along its hull in the common Kratorian make. Batten will approach you again and say, Shall it just be you and I to board first as usual, Captain? Yes, let the vultures come after us. Aye, aye. We shall be ready to board shortly. And as he says that, the, the ship is already pulling up in tandem to this derelict that's floating in space. Careful to avoid the larger debris, but the smaller debris get caught in the lead vogel's gravity plane and kind of bob up and down gently and just kind of pat off of the ship harmlessly. But as the, the ship pulls to a halt, grappling hooks are thrown to pull the derelict in closer and a gangplank is lowered. As you and Batten head to the gangplank, you notice out of the corner of your eye a usual sight, but one that it still takes some getting used to, but uh, affixed to the main mast of the ship is a little bit of beeswax stuck there, affixing a single gullion feather and a bit of parchment. And you can make out in a scrawled hand written on the parchment the words, May dangerous words be blocked from our ears. Now, it's an odd superstition that you don't personally believe in, but it is the work of Dosk, a particularly superstitious lizardfolk deckhand. And you know that the ritual is meant to bring good luck, so you've allowed Dosk to do such things since he joined the crew back in Crinspace. <sighs> so you get to the gangplank and Batten is basically waiting for your orders to board. I will take up my sword cane and affix it to my hip. After you, Batten, ensure that the way is cleared. Aye, aye, Captain. And Batten steps up onto the gangplank. He only has a single cutlass on his belt, but he hobbles his way forward, his hunched back, his balding head glimmering light off of the distant dual suns, and he leads the way across into the ship. Okay. You enter, and as soon as you got within proximity of the ship, even the air on your ship immediately got just a little bit more stale, which often happens because the air envelope of the lead vogel intermingles with the old stagnant air that still clings to these old derelict ships. And you get the smell of dust in just a millennia of inactivity, but the boards beneath your feet hold. Okay. And you enter onto the, the back deck. You can see that it's about 15 feet wide and there's a catapult there. There's like a raised foredeck with stairs that go down into a long flat 
uh, rear deck that kind of extend partially out the long elongated tail of this dragonfly shaped vessel. Batten seems to quickly find the door that leads down to below decks where you will know the captain's cabin would be in the charting room and the places that the information you seek is most likely going to be kept. I'll take the cabin. You get the rest. Aye, aye, captain. Yeah, so you head uh, to the captain's quarters. The door is kind of jammed, though the wood is swollen, but you're able to shoulder it and get it open. And you see um, a modest captain's quarters. It's not a captain's quarters that you would ever want to stay in, but you suppose it would do for lesser captains like the one of this ship back in the day. (laughs) And you see that there is uh, the remnants of a table with various books and papers strewn about on it, a bed off into the corner, a writing desk, and some shelves. Um, Visco will immediately start going up to the papers and kind of rifling through to see if there is any info on either the 12th verse or any other interesting music. Sure. Uh, make an investigation check for me. All right. Let's roll some dice. Yeah, let's pull up that character sheet. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we're starting out strong. That's a nine. Yeah, you flip through all of this stuff. Um, It's all in Kratorian, but even without casting Comprehend Languages, you've been acquainted enough with the language to kind of know what you're looking for, even without translating. Mm Mm-hmm. And you also have in your pocket the Comprehensive Guide to Cretorian Script Translation using the Astorio Method by Marco Astorio and Rodix Kojakarta that you can use to reference the occasional word if you're unsure. What a useful handy book. It is a useful handy book. <laughs> but most of what is here... Because uh, a lot of it has been faded because it's been thousands and thousands of years. The Cretorian Empire was 10,000 years ago. You... See, it's mostly like just shipping ledgers, business contracts, nothing in the sense of what you're looking for, which would be like the journal of a crew member or the shanty man of the ship, or uh, even occasionally the captain will make notes about like the songs that are sung or even particular legends and, and that sort of thing. But you're not seeing any of that here. Now, in your experience of doing this for a while, um, you've always found a lot of luck if the captain's quarters didn't provide you any information. Usually the charting room is a little bit more useful because the one thing you have been able to piece together is that the 12 wardens being referred to in the song correspond to constellations in the Kratorian sky. Mm -hmm. Okay, Visco will uh, just kind of throw the papers up in the air, letting them scatter wherever and say, nothing even worth wiping my ass with and leave the room. <laughs> you hear muffled down the hallway, uh, Batten say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Captain. Uh, not much of a surprise, unfortunately. <laughs> I'll go check the charting room. You continue doing whatever it is you're doing. Check in the cargo hold, Captain. Very good. Very good. Yeah, you go into the charting room. This already looks immediately more promising the minute you walk in. Uh, There is a large charting table that has big charts laid out across on thick vellium, and you immediately recognize the stars of Crotspace. You know, charting waypoints uh, of Crotspace and the various planets, though outdated as they are, since over the last 10,000 years, there's a couple planets that don't exist anymore. 
<laughs> but yeah, you see these star charts and uh, and everything um, around. And the one thing that immediately catches your attention is sitting on the table on top of one of the charts is a small leather-bound journal. Oh, what have we here? And he'll walk over and pluck it up from the table and begin thumbing through it. Sure. Um, and uh, immediately flipping through it, it's in Kratorian, but it immediately looks more promising. Like you, you, you immediately recognize the word warden in Kratorian, which is one that you've come to know without needing a translation book or your spell. <laughs> um, his eyes will widen and um, he will eagerly begin scouring the book now rather than just simply flipping through it. Sure. Do you take the time to kind of use your translation book to translate or do you just cast uh, Comprehend Languages to quickly... Um. I'll just cast Comprehend Languages, I think, okay. just to make it go by a little quicker. Absolutely. You cast the spell, and the words immediately begin to make sense. You don't actually like see the words change or anything, but you just magically, innately know what each word means. And it appears to be the personal journal of the navigator of the ship. Hmm. He has lots of little personal musings that aren't immediately related to his navigation work, or at least tangentially so, but he does talk a lot about the Twelve Wardens, and just from his writings, you get the distinct impression that the Twelve Wardens were very present in the culture and everyday life of the common Kratorian. Not only is the months of the Kratorian calendar named after the Wardens, and based on the wardens, but they're also regarded as figures of good fortune. Not gods, per se, but more mythical entities that can grant fortune or boons to mariners that fly through crot space. Mm -hmm. Now, you're quickly getting the impression that this probably doesn't have the 12th verse in it, but it has lots of very, very fascinating information about the wardens more than even you thought, because as you continue to read, the journal talks about old Kratorian crews could gain actual tangible magical boons by doing rituals to the different wardens. Um, this journal even calls out several examples, like tossing the captain's hat into the void on the first day of travel to petition the Tempest for extra speed, or lashing a scaver to the masthead to petition the Leviathan for more luck in combat or affixing wax to the mast to petition the phantasm to keep us unnoticed and uninfluenced by evil magics. Hmm. I suppose that's one that I can already make use of. Yeah, this is the ritual that Dosk has been doing forever. Now, he claims that the origin of this ritual is unknown, but it sounds like this might be where it comes from. Hmm. I suppose I'll have to question him a bit discreetly. Did you find anything interesting there, Captain? Gods, don't scare me like that. My apologies, Captain. Anyways, yes, it appears that uh, we have a, a tidbit of information about the wardens themselves. Perhaps the, the lizard might be of use after all. Him and his wax upon the mast... Batten looks at you kind of confused and says, Why would that be, Captain? It appears that it is some sort of ritual that the Kratz did forever ago that granted them actual gains to their travels through space. Perhaps we might yet make use of them. And what does the wax do? 
Uh, it apparently, according to this, and he'll flip back through a little bit, it goes with the phantasm. It will help keep us hidden as we are traveling. A thing that could be much useful indeed, I would think. Batten nods and looks at you and says, So that's how you've been avoiding my master's influence. It's been the idiotic lizard folk the whole time. Nisi's going to draw his cutlass. It will not allow me to let you leave with this information, Captain. Um, Visco will, for the first time in probably a very long time, have a slight tangible shock on his face. But then he'll smile a little bit wryly and say, <laughs> You old devil. Fine then. Let this be it. And he'll um, pop his sword cane. Nice. Roll for initiative. All right. Hey, we're moving on up in the world. <laughs> I think. Yeah, that is 19. 19. Oh, yeah. Well, that certainly beats him. Hey. Uh, I'm, I, I have to say I'm using my compass dice for the the space pirate odyssey. So very Hell fitting. yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, it's your turn. All right. Um, for the time being, huh, <laughs> um, Visco's going to take kind of like a defensive stance um, with his cane and say, Old friend, I hate to make the first move, but I will. And um, I'm going to stab out at him with it. <laughs> nice. Um, and that is going to be a 16. That hits him. Okay. A, that is um, six points of damage. Okay. Pulling the old spell book out, too. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, he is going to lash at you with speed you've never seen him have. Hmm. Been holding out on me, have you? You know nothing of what you speak, C Captain. And you can see every time he says captain now, it's with, with an air of disdain. Um, that's going to be 21 to hit. <laughs> yeah. 12 slashing damage. I'm going to kind of recoil and say, all right, then, if that's how this must be. And I am going to cast something. I haven't played a bard since Pathfinder, so... <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. Um, What's your CMD? <laughs> Jesus. Okay, we're gonna do... We're gonna do some Tasha's hideous laughter. Um, so mm. I'm going to uh, reach into my pouch and um, pull out a couple of little um, cupcakes and kind of crush them up and they disappear and then wave around a small feather in my hand um, as I begin to whisper an incantation and he needs to make a wisdom save. Okay. Uh, that is going to fail. Okay. Um, so he is, uh, he begins laughing uncontrollably. Yeah. <laughs> and you can see his one eye that's not behind his eye patch is glaring at you despite his uncontrollable <laughs> laughter. Hmm. I'm glad you find me entertaining at last. Um. <laughs> All right. So he gets a save to stop, I think. At the end of each of its turns. Uh, that's going to be a 12. Fail. Okay, so he's still laughing. Okay. 
We are going to stab at him again. Okay. I have advantage on that, right? Yeah. Would he be, because he's prone? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Oh, no. I rolled a six and a seven. <laughs> Yikes. Um, so that's an 11. That does not hit. Yeah. Ugh. So it's his turn. He's still rolling on the ground laughing. Ruffle. Ruffle. <laughs> uh, that's going to be a 17. Oh, yeah. That, that gets him out of it. Okay. So, yeah, he, he stops uh, and he breathes heavily, and uh, that, but that's all he can do. He's still on Ugh. the ground. So you still have advantage on attacks. Against him. Okay. Uh, we'll try and get another stab in at him then. In that sure. Case. Hey, that's better. That's a natural 19, so 23. That'll hit him. All right. Yeah, three points of damage. Three points of damage? Okay. Three points Uh, of slashing damage, I suppose. All right. So, all right, he is going to stand stand up and attack you. Okay. 18. That'll hit, just barely. So that is 12 slashing damage. Owie. All right. Okay. Um, so we're going to, we're going to cast Cure Wounds. Okay. Because, yeah. We're going to cast it at second level, actually. Okay. So that's five, damn it. Okay. So that'll give me nine points of health back. All righty. Okay. Um. And I'm going to, is there anything in here that I can use for any sort of cover? Yeah, there's the table and you can reasonably kick over the table and use okay. that as like cover. Okay. Yeah. I would like to try and do that. Sure. If able. Uh, yeah. I'll let you do it as part of your movement because you use okay. your action to heal. So like, yeah, you back up and kick the table off onto its side and it, and it gives you like, like four feet of cover. So you could like crouch down behind it. Okay. I, yeah, I will do that. Okay. He's going to step forward and attack, but it's at disadvantage because you're like crouching behind this wooden table. Mm-hmm. And that one misses. That was a natural one. Ooh. So he, <laughs> he swipes down at you in a rage. He lets like a, a yell and brings his cutlass down and it thunk, into the wood table and gets stuck. Hmm. So his sword is now stuck in the table. Okay. Um, I am going to try and take it then okay and um i'm going to when if, if i'm able to get it i'm gonna toss it away as far from him as i can yeah um go ahead and just make an attack um uh, with either uh strength or dexterity whichever's better for you oh that'll be dex but okay mm-hmm. <laughs> oh no yeah that's a three. Oh no yeah with with your with your decks? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> We're very charismatic and very smart. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you like try to like kick the sword out of his hand and out of the table, but you miss and just kick the table. <laughs> <laughs> ah, gods. He's going to try to pull the sword out. <laughs> oh no. Uh he 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 did not succeed. <laughs> he rolled a seven. <laughs> oh, oof. So uh, it's back to you then. Okay. Um, all right. So at second level, um, what is his sword made of? 
Anything special? Steel. Nothing special. Just standard steel? Okay. Yep. Um, we're going to cast heat metal on the sword. Oh, fuck. Yeah. So, yeah. It glows red hot. Mm-hmm. Um, if he touches it, he'll take damage. Does he take damage initially, or does he just, like, automatically let go of it? Um, if creature is holding or wearing the object and takes the damage from it, the creature must succeed on a con save or drop the object, object if it can. So, I would say he takes on damage... He's not holding or wearing it, I suppose. It's like stuck in. His hands are on it because he's trying to pull it out of the table. Yeah. So I would say he takes it. So go ahead and roll the damage for it. Three and six. So he takes nine points of fire damage. Okay. Yeah. He takes that damage and he curses immediately letting go of the sword and backing up from it. And the sword glows red hot. Actually, the table catches fire at the point where the sword is lodged in it. It doesn't look like it's spreading very quickly, but the table did catch fire from just the heat of the metal. Oh. So, but as you see him back up, you can see his hands are now blistered and burned. Batten or whatever you are, stand down. He's going to back up and glare at you with his one eye and go, I I guess it's plan B then. And he reaches up and removes his eye patch where there's no eye there. And through the eyelid, you see something like move. Mm -hmm. And it almost looks like it's a little like clawed hand that just is visible through his eye. And it moves, retracting itself. And then suddenly Batten begins convulsing. He drops to his knees and his head seems to misshapen. And from his missing eye, the flesh begins to split and you hear his skull cracking. My gods, what is happening? And he's convulsing and his skull cracks open and he falls forward almost like something hatching from an egg. This creature crawls out of his brain cavity. A brain with clawed legs. Oh, hell no. And in that moment, you get the impression that this was not Batten and it hasn't been for a while. Mm -hmm. Maybe that time he was sick was something else. Mm. Seems he uh, came down with another affliction, perhaps. Yes. Yikes. So uh, it is your turn. Uh, you are face to face with an intellect devourer. Oh, okay. About how about how big is it? Like it is tiny. Okay. It is not much larger than uh, like a normal human brain. Mm-hmm. It's only like a little over a foot long. Okay, I am going to cast thunderclap at it um, to okay. try and a. I mean you know, hurt it and B to try and maybe notify my crew that, Hey, something's going on. Okay. So it needs to make a con save. Okay. That wasn't good. (laughs) That was a seven. That fails. So it's going to take five points of thunder damage and a boom is going to go out a hundred feet. Okay. Uh, Yeah. The entire ship rattles the old planks of this ancient ship vibrate against the explosion of sound and this thing convulses slightly from the impact Hmm. it is going to leap at you and claw at you that is only a 10 to hit that will miss okay and then you need to make an intelligence saving throw 
Hey, those are what I'm good at. Maybe. We'll see. I say that now. Okay, that's decent. Um, that is a uh, 13. That was exactly what you needed. Woo! So as it jumps in at you and claws at you, you also hear this like high-pitched like scream in your mind. And it almost seems as if this thing is trying to consume your very intellect. Can I, without it being an action, (laughs) if I can say that, um, can I make any sort of like arcana or any sort of check to know what the hell this is or would I know what this is? Yes. You go ahead and just make an arcana check. Okay. Oh, of course, that's not great. That's an eight. You're not sure. It's definitely a creature of psionic in nature. Um, mm-hmm. Its its attacks are psychic, and it it referred to having a master. But other than that, uh, you're not quite sure. Okay, just curious. Yep. Um, alrighty. I am. So after it like tried to claw at me and like leap at me, did it knock back onto the ground? Yes. It's it's adjacent to you. It's five feet in front of you. Okay, I'm going to try and uh, jam my sword cane down at it. All right, go ahead and roll an attack. Uh, and I roll an at one. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it leaps to the side out <sighs> of the way, and your sword cane pierces the deck. <sighs> God's damn thing's too tiny. It's going to leap and claw at you again. Okay. That's only going to be a nine to hit. That will miss. But then you need to make another intelligence saving throw. All right, we're going to not use that d20 again. That's actually another 13. I rolled an 11 again. Okay, you're good. Whew. All right, uh, it is now your turn. Okay, uh, we're going to find something else to cast at it because that seems to be working better for me. Making you roll is working better than making me roll. <laughs> yeah, it definitely seems like the sword cane is more of an aesthetic choice than any practical choice. Yes. On Visco's part. <laughs> it's such a Visco weapon, though. It is a Visco weapon, but he's not that good at it. <laughs> Very true. Minimal training. Minimal training. Uh-huh. Trained only enough to impress the men and women. Bingo. Do you want to see my sword cane? And also my weapon. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Do uh, uh, Real quick, uh, just like as a quick thing, can I listen to see, and just like very brief, like just for a split second, listen to see if anyone's coming? Um, what's your passive perception? Excellent question. It is not good. <laughs> um, it's a 12. Over the fight of this thing directly in front of you, you're uncertain um, if anybody is coming or not. But okay. you know that like the sound of that, uh, that was loud enough, and you would hope that your crew is smart enough to know to come investigating after something like that. Oh, well, I certainly hope they care enough to do so. And um, just to be on the safe side, we're going to cast Thunder Wave. Okay. Another con save. That was only a nine. Ooh, that fails. Okay, so it's going to take... Yes, 13 points of thunder damage. Hell yeah. And it's going to be pushed 10 feet away from me. Okay. And then another boom will go out, um, this time up to 300 feet as that was my final first level spell. It is definitely bloodied. Okay. All right. And anything like that was within 10 feet of me gets pushed back as well. Okay. So a lot of, a lot of like the random wood and debris and the table and everything just get 
across the ground, sliding outward. Boom. Yeah. Yeah. So this thing is going to jump and attack you again. Okay. That is going to be a 13. We'll miss. Okay. And then um, go ahead and make an intelligence saving throw. <sighs> um, that's a 19. Okay. Yeah, you're fine. You hear this high-pitched whine in your very brain as you feel the psionic influence of this thing try to pull out all of the considerable knowledge you've collected and consume it. Ugh. Get out of my head. Um, uh, it is now your turn. All right. Uh, we're going to try and finish this off here if we can. Uh, we're going to cast Thunderwave again, this time at third level. Okay. Get over here. Make an, uh, another con save. 11? Fail. Fail, fail, it's, fail. They've gotten a little bit more each time, but not, not enough. <laughs> not nearly enough. Uh, that is 20 points of thunder damage, and it gets pushed another 10 feet away. Yeah, you send it flying backwards, and it splats against the other wall. It's brain matter just scattering against the wall, and just the gray brain matter just dropping in a pool around it as it slides down. <sighs> and I'll um, I'll tuck I'll pop my sword cane back into my side, and kind of brush myself off and adjust my hat a little bit. At that point, you see uh, several individuals burst into the room. In the lead is Yarin, and right behind him is Dosk, and there are several other of your crew behind them. And you see Yarin, this tiny little halfling, kind of turn the corner and go, Both seven sons, what the fuck happened here? Why in the hells did it take you so long to get in here? Dosk goes, It was like 18 seconds. Too long. Too long. Double time next time. <laughs> Anyways, as you can all clearly see, something was wrong with Batten. Uh, that thing came out of him. Yarn will squat down to look at it and go, well, that's just wrong. And I think I'm going to be sick. Oh, you're going to be sick. Isn't that rich? I'm the one who had to kill the damned thing. Very impressive, Captain, says Dosk. Well, it just so happens you're the one I wanted to see anyways, Dosk. Tell me, all about this beeswax you've been putting on the mast lately. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Garrett, uh, for joining. Uh -huh. Thanks for introducing us to Captain Visco. And uh, I'm sure this is not the last we've seen of Captain Visco. So, yeah. Certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Garrett, why don't you uh, tell us who you are and where people can find you on the internet? Absolutely. My name is Garrett. Um, I don't do a whole, whole lot right now because pandemic times and all. But I am in a band called Northern Weather. Um, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Bandcamp, Spotify. Uh, we are Northern Weather or Northern Weather OH on Facebook. It was the easiest way to find us. Um, we play kind of like an indie punk rock sort of thing. Later this year, if all goes according to plan, if all the planets align, A, Northern Weather will have a new album out, and B, I will be announcing another music project that I can't talk about yet, but it's yeah. coming, I hope. Yeah, teasing us. I know. 
And if you uh, if you listen to Fables Around the Table, you can also hear Garrett on the very first season, Curse, where he plays Alistair Levea. Oh, my good buddy Alistair. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun, Garrett. Thanks for joining. And uh, I can't wait until we see what shenanigans Visco gets into next. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Get it right this time. All right, lads, sunward! <laughs> the night claims the first watch, boys, so be on your best behavior. Jam away, sunward, by will of the wardens twelve. Yeah! Her noble shield will guard our track, so long as we don't betray her. Jam away, sunward, by will of the wardens twelve. Tempest takes the second watch, so stow your effects in dunnage. <laughs> Jam away, spearward, by will of the wardens twelve. Pray for the poor soul, conduct in next port's rummage. Jam away, spearward, by will of the wardens twelve. The archfey takes the third watch, best double check your bearing. Jam away, sunward, by will of the Wardens Twelve. They'll lead us to a flotsam field, just to test our daring. Jam away, sunward, by will of the Wardens Twelve. Wallward, lads! We jam our way worldward, to visit home Kratori. Jam our way worldward, by will of the Wardens Twelve. We jam our way worldward, to tell good mates our story. <laughs> Jam our way worldward by will of the Wardens Twelve. Spirit ho! The pious priest takes fourth watch, providing a guiding light. Jam away, Spearward, by will of the Wardens Twelve. He'll keep the plague away, so long as we say our prayers right. Jam away, Spearward, by will of the Wardens Twelve. Leviathan roars with fury. To her we give watch five. Jam away, sunward, by will of the Wardens twelve. In the void her waves ain't quite as wet, but her rage is still alive. Jam away, sunward, by will of the Wardens twelve. Phantasm nearby lurking, their claim is to watch six. Jam away, spearward, by will of the Wardens Twelve. They hide us from our foes with mystery and tricks. Jam away, spearward, by will of the Wardens Twelve. Whirlwind! We jam our way worldward to visit home Kratori. Jam our way worldward by will of the Wardens Twelve. We jam our way worldward to tell good mates our story. Jam our way worldward by will of the Wardens Twelve. All right, lads, sunward! Sailsword has watched seven, but his favor's not assured. Jam away, sunward, by will of the Wardens Twelve. His aid to us is promised when our payment is secured. Jam away, sunward, by will of the Wardens Twelve. Zaratan holds the eighth watch beneath his earthen plate. 
Jam away, Spearward, by Will the Warden's Twelve. So while his stone shell holds, our resolve will never break. Jam away, Spearward, by Will of the Warden's Twelve. The nightmare rules over Watch Nine, galloping through the void. Jam away, Sunward, by Will of the Warden's Twelve. Brimstone and shadow trail her, steer clear or be destroyed. Jam away, Sunward, by Will of the Warden's Twelve. Willward, lads, Willward! We jam our way, Whirlward! To visit home, Kratori. Jam our way, Whirlward, by Will of the Wardens 12. We jam our way, Whirlward, to tell good mates our story. Jam our way, Whirlward, by Will of the Wardens 12. Spirit! <laughs> the heretic has watched 10, held within unholy grip. Jam away, Spearward, by Will of the Wardens 12. We mutter evil prayers till from his gaze we slip. Jam away, Spearward, by Will of the Wardens 12. Phoenix rules 11, rising up in flame and feather. Jam away, Sunward, by Will of the Wardens 12. Her light casts out the shadows, but burns in equal measure. Jam away, Sunward, by Will of the Wardens 12. By Will of the Wardens 12. And I'll find that last verse if it's the last God's damn thing I do. Once upon a time, there lived a lord whose place was so splendid and so richly furnished that even the sultans could not be compared with it. He was never spoken of by his real title, which was grand and noble, but instead, he was simply referred to as Bluebeard. Bluebeard scared the young woman, but maybe his beard wasn't quite that blue. She accepted his proposal. I don't know about you two, but they did kind of get in the witch's head. It's almost like a childlike fear, like how kids will sometimes get really, like, super afraid of something random and it doesn't, like, quite make sense. These seem like reflections of our own insecurities. Fables Around the Table, Tiffany. Debuting May the 12th. Will you open the door? ProjectDerailed.com